Wait a second. You know this isn't going to work one day? Well, yeah, it, it, it can't work. Well, then what's, what's going to happen then? I don't know. Some smart guys will figure it out. Welcome to today's process. The corporate citizen's future fallacy. Stand up, push forward. Let's light the lantern. How does the husband entrepreneur escape the understory while still having a marriage that not just survives, but thrives in an environment where modern business is under attack? The fog of the understory covers everything, and we are surrounded by monsters and bandits. My name is Wade Skalski, the understory lawyer, and we will face them together as we build the classic American business. Admission to the understory is free, but understanding always has a price. Let's light the lantern. What is up, husband entrepreneurs? Those of you who are in the understory against your will, and those of you who are in the understory on purpose, Wade Skalski here, the understory lawyer. Uh, I'm fired up to talk to you today. I have kind of a a somber episode for you today. Like it's uh, it's not fun what we're going to be talking about, but it's necessary. And so, just like with regards to me telling my son he cannot have ice cream before lunch. Uh, which is then we get in this, we're in this relentless argument every morning now for like a couple of weeks. And, um, uh, that's not fun, but necessary. He just needs to understand you don't eat ice cream before lunch until you're an adult. And then you can decide to do whatever you want. Only in Las Vegas, only in Las Vegas, what stays and happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Um, and everyone else's verbal, verbal cues, but always, it's always there in your mind. Um, <laughs> little crime and punishment Dostoevsky for you there. Read that before you go to Vegas. You'll be fine. You, you won't get yourself into trouble then. Uh, all right. So there's this concept called the corporate citizen. And the idea of the corporate citizen is that there is sort of a secondary, there is sort of a secondary culture that's away from all of us. And it's the corporate culture. And there are these I would say any any publicly traded corporation obviously is part of the corporate culture. Like you've got Apple, Apple, like your big tech overlords, they occupy the apex of right now of the corporate culture. Back in the day, it used to be, um, you know, the different monopolies like the the railroad monopolies or the steel monopolies or whatever. It didn't really matter. But there's always the every every so far in this country of ours, every um, every era has had. The, the apex of the corporate culture has been some kind of monopoly, right? The corporate citizens. And then, so that that's sort of like the ruling, the ruling, ruling class of the ruling class of the corporate citizens. And then as you progress down, right? And I don't know where the line is because I have a corporation, right? So like if you, if you have an LLC or a corporation or you're a small business, I would say the one, one man, one woman solo corporation would be, um, would be the the all the way to the other side of the pole, okay? And that group of people that uses those legal fictions called the corporation, the corporate structure, the business entity, or whatever, is what is known as the corp. Like I would say, that's the corporate nation, right? It's the, and all and the people that inhabit it are the corporate corporate citizens. So why am I telling this about you? Well, the corporations and the corporate citizens effectively are what provide the majority of the goods and the services in the country. Okay. And the problem, here's the problem. And I talked about this a little bit in the last couple of days is that if you have a moral decision to make, or frankly, any kind of decision, the farther away that you are from your client, 
the the farther away that you are from your client, the the easier it is to make a decision that's in the best interest of profit, short term profit, and disregard the long term consequences. The farther you are away from your client, the easier it is to make decisions for short term profit. Um, but and then but farther away from long term consequences. And this can be as simple as your fulfillment, right? Like if you don't like your clients and like you don't have the, an overwhelming desire to protect them, you will just simply take their money and then put fulfillment to the back end of the equation. And then you will fulfill when you have to. And in the short term, that works out great because your immediate bills get paid. Um, you don't have any, you know, you're, you're just like you're feeling good because you get to you close the deal, you get the money, you get the dopamine and then you go on to the next closing the deal. And then you go into a period, you just keep closing deals and then you go into a period of like, oh, I better fulfill on some of this. And then you're ping ponging back and forth. And then here's a little secret. You get stuck on the hamster wheel like you don't. It's hard to get new clients that really like you. It's hard to get a good reputation because you're, you're having fulfillment issues. It's hard to get referrals because you you know, you're not committed to your client. You're, you're far, you're, you're just a little, you just, it just takes a little bit, you know, it's like, it doesn't take, it doesn't take to be too far away from your client to get in that hamster wheel, but no doubt like the, your high end, high end apex predators of the corporate, of the corporate culture, corporate, corporate country, right. They don't look at you as a client. They look at you as an end user. They look at the end user experience and that is as sterile as you can possibly be. Effectively, one end user is just like another end user, which means that we're all disposable to them. doesn't really matter. As long as they have the numbers that they need, the individual person on the other end of that does not matter. And we've all accepted this, right? We've all been fine with it because it hasn't, it hasn't impacted us. We, we are just as guilty as we are just as guilty as the corporate citizens, either in in ourselves or being corporate citizens or as accepting it. Things like, oh, yes, I'll just check the I accept on this terms and services agreement. That's 25 pages long, so I'm not going to read it. But I don't know what what could possibly go wrong written by written by corporate citizen lawyers. What could possibly go wrong for me? Yeah, I'll give you all my data. You can listen to my conversations. So um, for all of you that have an Alexa out there, we we unplugged our Alexa. We stopped using it. Uh, we stopped using it when they came up with this cockamamie side, sidewalk app part where you have to disable it to where they, they coordinate with all the other Alexas to create some kind of weird Skynet web of privacy intrusion into you and all of your neighbors. So I don't know if you know that, but go check it out. Like if you didn't disable it, you're basically spying on all of your neighbors and creating a web of of. Um, of, of Wi-Fi using other Alexas in the neighborhood, something insane like that. So we're like, we're not doing this anymore, but my wife, my kids wanted to listen to this bunny song. And, um, so my wife plugged it in, got it out of the garage, plugged it in and then forgot that it was there. And then we were talking and we're talking, there's this birthday party that we're going to tomorrow that someone has scheduled that I have to drive to North Carolina on the holiday weekend, Monday. So I will be coming back tomorrow enraged because I'm going to be stuck in traffic, but that's fine. What else do I have to do tomorrow but sit in traffic for three hours, four hours coming back? And we were talking about this birthday and like, okay, yeah, whatever. And then um, I wanted to know what the weather was going to be like. And I, the Alexa was on. I was like, Alexa, what's the weather like today? And then and then before Alexa even gave me the weather, Alexa says, I have good ideas for birthday gifts. Alexa is now like Facebook, right? Where she's going to start giving you suggestions. She's listening to you, always looking, always watching, always judging. What? Look at the baby. And like we suddenly are okay with this. 
So my wife looked at me, I looked at her. I'm like, I unplugged the Alexa and, and we're not plugging that thing back in. We're going to get a boom box with CD players or whatever. I don't give a shit, but we are, we are, we are decoupling from this madness. Now you can do it and you can be like, Oh, I have nothing to hide. Like, all right, well, and you're just giving a psychological profile to, to all the big tech companies so that they can target you when you're at your worst. So they know it. Like when you're, instead of you being and watching an infomercial or watching an infomercial at three in the morning in your underwear and then ordering some cockamamie, um, cockamamie like CD set for something that you ever get rich, get rich quick scheme or something. Uh, it's going to know exactly when your guard is down the most during the day. And you're going to get this very attractive offer that you can't refuse. I would give you a, I would, I would have you consider the possibility that it's going to, it's going to know when you've had a few gin fizzes. It's going to know when you're at a bar, it's going to know when you're and when you've gone to a restaurant and you probably had a couple glasses of wine, it's going to start throwing you some stuff done on purpose. It's inevitable. And so the reason is, is because you're just an end user. They don't care. They don't care if that you, if you suddenly, you know, spend a hundred dollars that you don't have and you can't make your rent and that creates a spiral where that makes you, you know, you keep doing that a few times over six months and then all of a sudden you're homeless. They don't care because you're, you're just the end user. And those, there's more of you. And in fact, the moment that you get away from wanting to protect your clients, then you're part of the corporate citizenry. And I, listen, I have been very guilty of this myself. It doesn't, it, it, it does not take very, it does not take very much of the day-to-day stressors of the business to start to, it does not take the day-to-day stressors of your business to start to just get more into the chess pieces of like, what do I move around? How do I do this? You, you have to always have your client front and center. Their desires have to be front and center. So I give my clients my cell phone. Like they just text me. And then it's good because it's like a built-in, it's like a built-in alarm, basically. I don't have a gatekeeper between them and my clients because then my clients, they just send me a little text and be like, hey, what's going on with my with my case? And then it like it forces me to to make sure that they're we're at where we need to be at. And I'm so much more proactive and faster than I used to be. But but the thing that you have to understand is that. Just, I want you to take that example, which we've all as entrepreneurs have experienced, right? Which is that sometimes fulfillment is, it takes a secondary seat to, you know, new clients or whatever because of the financial pressures of the business. And I want you to multiply that by 1 million. And then what I want you to do is I want you to say, well, you have to make a decision, you know, multiplied by a billion. Well, you have to make a decision where you're like, I have a short term decision to make for the company, right? You're a corporate citizen, you're Apple, you're a, you're a medical company, whatever. And you, you, you say to yourself, I have a short-term decision to make right here. And if I take decision A, it's better for the customer, the quote, the end user. And if I make decision B, then we make a ton more money and we can get away with it. Well, by the fiduciary duty, what happens is, is that they always pick the shareholders. They say, well, we're going to do that. It's the whole concept with the cars, right? Like if you're going to make a car, you, they know from like fight club, right? That's the entire argument. It's not even an argument. It's a fact. It's the entire description of the problem is that, you know, the, the guys, he's an insurance adjuster where he goes out there and he knows that a certain number of the cars are going to blow up and going to incinerate a family of four. It's an actuarial table. And so they make a, they make a, a math problem. How much is this going to cost us in legal fees? How much is this going to cost us in court settlements? How much is this going to cost us in bad publicity and loss of goodwill for the company? And then how much are we going to make from it? And if number B is bigger than number A, then they say, okay, we're there. We're, it's as safe as it needs to be. My buddy went into my buddy, uh, 
told me a story once, he's an engineer and he told me a story once about that somebody had invented um, some kind of machine that detected salmonella that you could like run like chickens through it, like raw chickens through it, right? Like in the processing plant. And then you would know which ones have salmonella and which ones don't. And so they went in there and then they, they, they tried to sell this machine to this guy. And he's like, get out of my, get out of my, my factory, get that machine out of here. He's like, I know some of my chickens have salmonella. The only thing that matters is, is that am I below the threshold that's required of me by whatever governing agency that sets the standard? That guy didn't care about his end user. He's like, I know there's going to be some four-year-old kid that's going to get salmonella. I don't care. Hopefully it's an adult that gets it and shrugs it off, but it doesn't really matter to me. I'm below the threshold. That's a corporate citizen. There's this, there's this thing I need you to understand that's, that's, um, that's happening. That's happening right now. And if you can't see it, you need to see it because the days of being able to click the, the end user, the end user thing, right? The list of changes to your update, your operating system and just clicking it and moving forward are over. We're not in the category anymore. Facebook is, is just doing pictures of your kids and food. And, and that stretches across all industries right now. See, there's this thing, there's this thing that, um, there's this, there's another example I'm going to give you that's going to help you understand what I'm talking about. And then I'm going to go outside entirely and go to some art for you. And the example is this, there's this, there's this concept of inventory that Japan, that Japan popularized back in like the nineties. And that's why they were kicking our ass so much was that what you would do is what we used to do is we would just stockpile whatever we needed in warehouses. And then we would build whatever we needed. So if you were a, if you were like, you made stuff out of steel or whatever, you would just stockpile steel in your warehouse and you would make your little doohickeys. And then you would buy more when you were getting close to run out of steel, you'd buy more steel. So you always were, you always in, in that model, basically you were always protected against short-term fluctuations in the supply chain. But then Japan came up with this idea. They said, well, if we can, with computers and logistics and all of that, if we can get this to where it's like, it's like, is I need steel, this amount of steel tomorrow. And so that amount of steel shows up today and then I use it. And then it just keeps doing that so that you can really decrease your inventory cost. And, you know, if you sit there and, and there was some dude that was sitting there and he was like, oh, this is an amazing idea, but nothing lasts forever. So what's going to happen when the supply chain breaks down? And back then when the supply chain would break down, it really wasn't that big of a deal. It could be fixed because everybody had inventory. Nobody keeps inventory anymore. Nobody keeps inventory anymore. And even down to the level of like your small guys. And the reason is, is because it's, we have, it has become, the economy has become so successful that the logistical part of it, that you, you don't have to worry about that's a cost that you can take out of business. But here's the challenge is that, as that works really well for one company to do that. But then when all the companies do that, it creates this house of cards and then it stretches the supply chain to a level of perfection that's required. That is impossible. That it's inevitable to break down. And then once one of the things breaks down, then it creates a cascading effect across the entire supply chain. that just brings the whole thing down. And it's, it's not something as simple as we could just sit down and we just fix it over a week. Same thing with the power grid, like Texas, Texas was down, was like just a few minutes away from like having their transformers incinerated and they don't have any of those in the inventory and it takes like six months to make one. And so they were like, we were, Texas was going to be without six months for power for six months. And 
there's this house of cards for our economy that has been built by the corporate citizens because in the short term it makes them money, but in the long term it is going to be devastating to the end user and that end user is you and me. And this has happened. This is, this has been, this system has been built out. The system has been built out by every level of the institutions around us. All institutions have built it out this way and adopted it. Medical, government, technology, transportation, energy, everything. When I was growing up, I was indoctrinated in the idea of America by my parents that the America that they grew up in, which is the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, and where businesses operated in sort of the, the much more connected to their customers way and their customers were all clients. And of course this is on a scale, right? But the majority of the majority of customers were customers and there were very few businesses that looked at their people's end users, but the polarity of everything has shifted and this happens. And if you just look at it's, it's in the, you look at the tower of Babel, right? Or Babel, sorry. Look at the tower, tower of Babel in the Bible, right? The idea of, of building some giant thing to get to heaven, right? Which is, which is, and then it, it gets destroyed and is cast to the winds. The idea of that story is, is that all giant things fail. All kingdoms, all giant enterprises ossify and fail and they scatter to the wind and everything starts over again. It's in the Bible. It's like, and the reason why that's in the Bible is because that story is stand the test of time because it's true. And unfortunately is, is, uh, the merry-go-round is about to stop. And this isn't, I'm not, I'm not saying this to you because of, I'm not saying this to you as some grand conspiracy theme. And like, there's just like, you know, there's like these giant cabal of people that are like messing everything around and that's why it's going to happen. There may be elements of that, but look at any industry, look at the medical industry, what's happening now. Look at, look at monetary policy. It's, debt, you know, there's this debt that cannot be paid. There's, if you look at the amount of debt and that is, um, that the United States has, there's a debt that cannot be paid. It cannot be paid. And everyone just thinks that the smart guys are going to figure, smart guys and gals are going to figure it out at the end. But here's what I have to, to tell you. There are no smart guys and gals, not that smart to fix this. There is no super person that's going to figure this out. If you look at, if you look at some of the tragedies of the, of the 20th century and you look at the forties and the fifties and you say, you say something like, oh, okay, well, you know, Nazi Germany could never happen again because we've elevated ourselves as people. You're naive. And I say that because I used to think that I'd be like, oh my God, this could, I'm so glad that we know about this because we would never do something like this ever again. People are just smarter now. People are just more put together. People are just more evolved. It's not true. People have always been the same. And for the foreseeable future, meaning the next thousand years, at least, they're going to be just like they were in the 1940s. They're going to be just like they were 600 years ago. And because the institutions that we have been able to kind of build over time have gotten a little more fancy than we have fooled ourselves into thinking that we're anything different than that. But we have built this house of cards thinking that some future super person is going to fix all of this. And so we can just make decisions in the short term that are that are better for our shareholders, better for the government, better for 
science and that we don't care about the individual. And unfortunately now is that the carnival ride is almost over. Now, I don't, I don't know when this is going to happen, but I, I'm telling you this. It's all going to fall down. It's too, it's, it's too integrated to sur- for any one part of it to survive. And so this is a, this is a somber, scary thing to realize, especially if you grew up like I did thinking that, um, thinking that, you know, you grow up, you get a good job, you, you get a 401k and then you just retire and everything's going to be fine. And because that's like, that's like, it works out for our parents that way. You know, I talked to my dad, I was talking to my dad and my dad said something really interesting. He said, I'm really glad that I lived when I did so that I could travel and I could experience life and have all the experiences for me and for you in, you know, in the system. What did he say? How did he say it? And then he said, he just was glad that he lived in the time that he did because he sees it too. It's, he's very concerned about his grandchildren, my kids. And he's like, I don't know what you're going to do. And I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the same thing that every human being has ever done since the beginning of time. I'm going to protect my, myself. I'm going to protect my family and I'm going to protect my community. And I'm going to keep a close connection to my clients so that they don't become customers that then don't become end users. We all need to start detaching ourselves from the corporate citizenry. Now you don't have to take my word for it, but start looking at it, but I don't know how much time we have. All of these things that you're relying upon that are not, you don't have a direct connection to are going to go away or they're just going to become too expensive that you're not going to be able to afford them. They're going to be reserved for the elite. Is that to say all is lost? Absolutely not. All is not lost. There is a way out and it's the classic American business. We've been here before and all things are cycles. Unfortunately, you and I happen to live in a time where we're at the end of a cycle and we're going to have to rebuild. Now, does that mean everything's going to go zombie apocalypse and we're going to have to actually like rebuild, rebuild from scratch? I have no idea, but that is a possibility. I'm telling you, there is a probability that the United States of America is going to balkanize and break apart. And the reason it's going to balkanize and break apart is because every level of every institution has adopted a philosophy of kicking the can down the road where some smart people are going to fix it at the end. And there are no super smart people. There's no superhuman Uber person that can fix it. We're still the same people that we're still the same human beings that almost annihilated the world in the 1940s and killed millions and millions of people. We're totally capable of that right now. You and I both are capable of that. And that's the story of, that's the story of the idea of that we're a fallen world. We're a fallen people. And that, Good must be cultivated and hard decisions must be made every day. And when you absolve yourself of the hard decisions in the corporate citizenry, destruction is inevitable. There's this thing in Italy called the leaning tower of Pisa. And it's famous because it's, it's like structurally like it's sinking and it's over and like people go look at it because like, Oh, and, but, but it's, everyone knows that one day that thing is going to fall over. They just don't know when. 
if you were nested inside the corporate citizenry right now in any way, meaning you work there or you are deeply nested in their products, including your local grocery store, including the, the, your idea of the defense structure of the police, like the everything is coming down. The tower is going to fall. And the reason why the tower is going to fall is because the, we've all lost connection. We've moved the, the, the institutions have moved too far away from the people. There's no propping up the leading tower of Pisa. They can't fix it. It's inevitable. So the solution is this, is that start thinking about how you're going to build the classic American business to where you have a direct connection to your people, to where you have clients that you protect and that you need to start to detach yourself from the idea that all of these things that are great and awesome and beautiful and these institutions and all this stuff is going to be around and start practicing self-reliance or whatever that means for you. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. And this whole giant elite level class of corporate citizens of the smartest guys and gals in the room, they've just been really smart at kicking the can down the road and offloading their moral and rational decisions to the shareholders. But the bill is coming due. You need to have a sense of urgency to build the classic American business because it might be the only thing that saves you and your family. So what I want you to do is take out your Ranger Field Journal. If you don't have a Ranger Field Journal, take out a regular journal. If you don't have a regular journal, go get one. You're going to need one from time to time. But for right now, take out your Unicorn Trapper Keeper from the fifth grade and write this down. Do I think the institutions are going to hold? Or is the tower going to fall? And once you answer that question, what does that mean for you? just remember there is no end if you stay in the path of understanding all right husband entrepreneurs i know you want to escape the current understory that you're trapped in i get it i've been there but in order to do that you're going to need a creative clearing a place to stand where you can make decisions in confidence and clarity i'm not going to promise you some magical course or coach, or codex, but I cannot help you unless you raise your hand and say, I am over here. Subscribe to my email list at understory.news. Raise your hand and say, let's get out of here together. The podcast has the philosophy, but the daily emails have the insights. Raise your hand and say, I am over here. Let's light the Lantern. Subscribe at understory.news. The path of understanding never ends, but that does not mean you cannot get to where you want to go. Subscribe to my email list at understory.news. Go light the lantern. <laughs>